My friends, the great experiment. Oh, Lord, thanks. Thanks. Hit it. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. Trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. Trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. It's from the makers of The Greatest Generation, but don't let that deter you. It's different. Yeah, we've been saying that like it's a good thing, huh? In some ways. Like it's a way to sell more podcast widgets. <laughs> it's not. If you don't like that other thing, you're really not going to like this. Yeah, it's a similar taste, different package. It's like, you know, when you buy like a tasty bite Indian meals at the regular grocery store and then you buy the thing that looks very similar at Trader Joe's but is in Trader Joe's packaging and you're like, maybe, just maybe, this is made at the same factory and put into two different packages. And here we have Duff, Duff Light, and our newest flavor, Duff Dry. Do you feel like you have a personality that tries a bad thing a second time? Yeah, absolutely. I do too. But I know some people who are like, nope, like we'll nope right out of the thing during the bad first time. Yeah. Oh, I'll finish the bad thing. I will absolutely finish the bad thing the first time. Yeah, no question. I'm too cheap to not finish. If I paid good (laughs) money for something, I'm getting everything out of that. If I pay any money for something, it doesn't matter if it's good or not. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding? (laughs) We're getting to the bottom of this. It's so weird to think that like we could purchase suffering (laughs) and you just eat that entire plate of suffering don't you because you bought it i cooked a meal last night i was winging it and i tried to do a kind of asian stir-fried noodle thing Mm. and stir fry is not an area i dabble in a lot and it didn't come together it was bad i don't understand what you buy to make a stir fry like you have things to make it like you bought a sauce or something No, I didn't buy anything. I was cooking dinner, and I decided I'm going to throw some shit in this pan and make a stir-fry. I understand now. And I blew it. I didn't do a good job of cooking. Which is, you know, it's rare, but it happens. (laughs) Anyone could forgive you. You got a lot on your mind. You got a lot on your shoulders. A single shoulder in particular. A single wet shoulder. Mm -hmm. I have a meaning to tell you that shoulder is uh, looking pretty bad. (laughs) I've got the calico cut shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a uh, a bird and a baby pooped on your shoulder at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, it was bad. And uh, I like wolfed it down and I watched my wife just like soldier through eating enough to satisfy herself, despite how gross it was. I've had a long held belief. Well, I don't even know if it's a belief. I don't know what you would call it. But for the longest time, Ben... I've always thought that the best leftovers either fell into two compartments. Mm-hmm. They, they fall into quesadilla or stir fry. <laughs> and the, the elegance of this theory of mine is that if you made good food the night before, your either quesadilla or stir fry the next day is going to be as good as that original meal. Yeah. So what happened? This was not a stir fry out of leftovers. It yeah. was a... I have a bag of fresh in the refrigerator section at the grocery store ramen noodles, Mm. and I'm not making ramen. 
Mm-mm. I've got like various vegetables that need to be used today or they will not be good tomorrow. Yeah. That's some high pressure. So, you know, cut the asparagus on the bias, cut the bell pepper into small pieces, mince up some garlic. You know what? I definitely know what you mean. As if cutting the food smaller will make it <laughs> fresher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I threw some shrimp in there. It, the problem was that the noodles got very gummy. Yeah. I've successfully stir-fried rice. I don't know why I thought I could uh, take a big swing like stir-frying noodles. Yeah, I've often been the person who makes the noodles separately and then combined with tongs at the end. Get your shit together later. It's too high pressure. I do that in an Italian style of dinner. Why wouldn't I do the same with an Asian style of dinner? It's racist, Ben. That's what I think it is. (laughs) An Italian would turn their nose up at my Italian food. Uh, just as much as anyone from any country in the Orient would turn their nose up at my quote-unquote Asian food. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's turning their noses up at your food lately. My food is a failure by any metric aside from, like, what me and my wife like to eat. Your food is usually really good, and that's how I know Uh. things are crumbling over there (laughs) at your household. Yeah. That's what I need to do. I need to bring over a meal. This is what friends do for other friends who are having babies. I need to bring over a casserole or something. Yeah. People asked us if we were doing a meal train when we were in the end run of expecting, and we shooed them away, and we've come to really regret that. (laughs) Yeah, man. You might be ready to reopen those hailing frequencies, and I think it's a Mm. good idea if you did. Help! Well, uh... What I think is a good idea is getting into an episode of Lower Decks. What do you think about that? It's what we're here to do, Ben. We're here to uh, chew bubble gum and talk about Star Trek Lower Decks. And the mesophones are so mad at us for that. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to do both at the same time with Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 8, Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus. You know the greatest danger facing us is irrational fear. We don't know. Online Mark, go back. The USS Cerritos versus a very scary ROM ship. It's kind of a, if you if you stepped on a Dideridex and it just flattened out. It's one of those ROM ships from Picard. And the reason I didn't recognize it right away is because in, in Star Trek Picard, the one episode where you saw this ship, you saw 200 of them. And they were all exactly <laughs> the same. Yeah. And they're really dark in Picard, and this one is lit like a, uh, you know, it's a much lighter looking version of the same. Things are going far worse for the Cerritos than is generally known. (laughs) Like, they are just getting bombarded. The Cerritos is no match for this Romulan ship. It's not what it's there to do. It's not a combat ship. It's there to make second contact, and that's about as adventurous as the Cerritos is kitted out for. Right. They've been boarded. Like, we've gone right from attack to being boarded, and that's never a good sign in a space battle. We cut over to a science lab where we see this boarding happening, and there's an old in there (laughs) with his assistant, and they're trying to squirrel away a crystal into a box, but they aren't able to hide it in time because he's forced to give this thing to the landing party that's there. Yeah, the landing party of stern-faced Romulans sees what is referred to later as the asset. They're wearing the updated bread box uniform, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I like to see it. Yeah. Commander Ransom and Shax and Kayshawn have, was have a, like... Uh, there was a card that... Was it Bill Tilly that made this card? Like, the first time we were talking about the bread box cover uniforms the ROMs would uh-huh. make, uh-huh. someone made a picture of a Romulan, like, with a very tiny head wearing an even larger bread box cover. <laughs> you remember that one? Uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, kind of the same uh, proportions as the Goombas in the yes. uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. That's it, exactly. Uh, God, those are fun. <laughs> so, uh, Shax and That should be Pachon. a merch item. All right, I'm going to talk about the fucking show! <laughs> I could see you get more, <laughs> more consternated. What do you think you are, Elliot Kalin and I'm Dan McCoy? <laughs> I think neither of those things. Yeah, this is not an interruption-based podcast, Adam. We're supposed to be kind of passing the ball back and forth. The interruptions are where the comedies have been. Surprised <laughs> you didn't know that. Hmm. I haven't noticed any comedy on our programs so far, so... You hate what we do. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I'm surprised they, you're back. Did they have cat baskets, these, uh, these Romulans? Oh, man. That would take a third rewatch to get. I think they'd just come over Disruptors out. Yeah, just uh, hanging Disruptor. Yeah. They get in a brief firefight with a security detail and Commander Ransom who run down from the bridge. They're too late. But uh, they beam out of there before any of uh, the Starfleet phaser fire can hit home. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very excited to announce that they've obtained the assets to a trio of uh, Romulan ladies with boob windows. These are really the, the Romulan, Lursa, and Bator. Right. The Melpinar triplets, I wrote down. We're triplets, that is true. And now, without much ado, destroy this joke of a federation ship. Three twins. Three. Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh <laughs> I like boob window continuity for uh, cinematic villain groups of ladies. <laughs> we get a scene straight out of Star Trek First Contact where, you know, now that the three twins have gotten their prize, why not just destroy the Cerritos? I mean, at that point, what's the difference? <laughs> they didn't hesitate. <laughs> but... Uh, a ship that looks a lot like the Enterprise E zooms in and saves the day, like the E used to do in First Contact, saving the Defiant. It's the Wayfarer. Thank the prophets. <laughs> Send those thanks to Captain Bucephalus Dagger. Captain Dagger looks just like uh, Bradward Boimler. Sure does. He has a hero walk to camera, mm-hmm. and that takes us into the theme. Ben, is this the best that the Sovereign-class ship has ever looked. I do not believe this is a handsome ship. I've never had a crush on this ship the way I like other ships. But I feel like throughout this episode, it's never looked as good as it looks on Star Trek Lower Decks. <laughs> you don't like the Sovereign-class as much. I mean, we know that, that you put the D in the, uh, at the top of your The D and then mountain. the double D Yeah, for Dideradex. But the E, I've always thought the E was really nice looking. It's not on my podium. Better looking than the C in my book. Not on my podium. Get it out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it's very 90s. It's very busy. It's very, uh, look what we can do. It is 90s. Yeah. Maybe just the 80s-ness of the D is what appeals to you about it. I guess. Yeah. 
Maybe I like 80s ships. I like classics. You love the D's sideways ponytail. <laughs> Ankle warmers. I do. Yeah. 808 drum kit. Pretty hot. Yeah. Love the whole stuff. thing. <laughs> After the theme, we see that uh, the rest of the bridge crew is filled out with our pals from Lower Decks. It's Mariner, Rutherford, and Tendi at the other stations. Yeah. They've all gotten various levels of rank increase and new names. They take some shots at the ROMs. It looks like they could even destroy the Romulan ship if they wanted to, but the ROMs warp out of there. And then they have to do a FaceTime with Captain Freeman, who explains what the Romulans just stole. It's called the Chronogami. I thought this was just theoretical, Adam. <laughs> what do we know about chronometric particles, Ben? It's time travel. They, uh, they often show up in storage like these. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dangerous MacGuffin we've got here. It really is. And uh, it's interesting because in pretty short order, we find out that this is a story penned by Bradward Boimler, but he is the one that has the most confidence in letting the Romulans go, despite the fact that they are taking the dangerous MacGuffin with them. Right. His character doesn't know that at the time, but it seems like if his character did know that, he would leave the Cerritos to its own devices and chase those ROMs. I want to scrutinize this moment just a little bit, and I know how upset it makes you for me to just sort of like stop the pod car as you're you trying can... to do the, the retelling. No, 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 Adam, stop the pod car all you want. Just don't jump into the middle of a, the second sentence I'm just saying. Don't jump the off of the pod boat into the water. <laughs> don't kick me in the nuts while I'm trying to talk. <laughs> hey, I know this might be a surprise to you. I might be building to a joke also. I mean, when has that ever happened? <laughs> I know you never laugh at them, but some people find my stuff amusing on this show. <laughs> I find you very amusing, Ben. <laughs> in the episode itself, where are we in the runtime? We're like five minutes into the episode, right? Yeah, something like that. I was surprised at how much the episode earned off of our past experience watching it, right? Because there's never any doubt about what's going on here. There's really very little doubt that they're in a holodeck program from the beginning. How efficient is this episode at getting us to where we need to be in exactly the amount of time that we have with a minimum of questions? Yeah. Like, it's... if you were going to step to this episode, having watched a couple of episodes of Lower Decks, you might be lost, right? I think so, but if you've seen Crisis Point One and you see that visual language of the, you know, 70 millimeter film mm -hmm. grain and the letterboxing, it's a visual language that this show has established as being used in a very specific way. Yeah. I really admire it for doubling down on that. Yeah. And uh, I admire the dunk on the script writing of... Uh, a Star Trek movie that is less successful than this is. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, it sort of presents itself as maybe being the Wrath of Khan parody of Lower Decks, but it is really the bad Star Trek movie parody of Lower Decks. Yeah, I mean, Crisis Point 2 is an even-numbered film, so that's a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but yeah, Boindler is... Uh, Stepping on Mariner's screenplay toes, he has invited himself to write the sequel to the Vindicta story, and that she takes some umbrage with this initially, but uh, 
he kind of explains it away as like you sort of uh, wrote a story into my program initially, so I feel perfectly justified in doing this. And the danger of the chronogami is the uh, is the subject of this storyline. They got to get it back from the Rams because with it, the Rams can destroy any point in history. The greatest trick. Everyone's together taking a break. This is a moment in time where Boims, Rutherford, Tendi, etc., are taking some time off in order to enjoy this program that Boims has made. This moment itself is interrupted by Ransom, who's called Boims into his office for a little moment. Yeah, it's a employee review time, sort of. We get the sense that Mariner is also waiting for one of these calls, but uh, when Boimler comes back, the gang have been watching the credits and kind of getting a sense of what their character motivations are going to be in this story. And Boimler comes back in a funk. And <laughs> one of the running jokes this season is a character being in a particular mood and nobody else noticing or caring. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is no exception to that. He's in this funk and nobody is like, hey man, what's eating you? Well, when the next scene is in the science station and Boimler isn't interested in fucking a super foxy lady, like right. there's nothing different about that behavior for Boimler to anyone I else, guess, right? I guess so. Yeah, he does. He's he's uh, he's acting within character. I'm here for your research, not your heart. This science station is so neat as a location because it is straight out of the second Star Trek film, right on down to the top secret science video that they all watch yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dr. Helena Gibson is the estranged love interest slash chronogami mastermind. And the Genesis device graphics sort of explained that there is some techno babbly reason why this thing works. And uh, there's a special watch that they can use to find it. I wonder if there was ever a part of this story where Boimler and this woman had a child. Oh, man. Yeah. And that was cut for time or something, you know? I mean, if you're writing yourself a character, as Boimler would have been doing mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Pretty fucked up thing to write for yourself. Yeah, that's pretty dark. <laughs> Did you think that the uh, the security computer that they showed before they showed the video about the device was an actual screen grab from... Because, I mean, you and I have used an actual screen grab from the Genesis device video to make jokes on stage. And I was scrutinizing this and I was like, God, it really does look like it might just be a frame from the actual film. It looked photorealistic, but I think part of the reason for the question is that even in the film, it looked oddly It looked cartoonish. weirdly cartoony. Yeah. yeah. So it works for cross purposes. Whoa, these graphics are mind-blowing! The ennui that Boimler is experiencing is really oozing into his performance and he kind of you know slumps out of this scene like off to Tadashore 9 the planet where the device seems to have been taken to without nailing the hot scientist without any like even OTPHJ stuff or anything and uh, <laughs> everybody's like duh fuck like, I never think about this when I'm playing an open-world video game. The idea when I don't go down a side mission, I don't often think of what happens to whoever that was that I didn't interact with. 
And I'm going to from now on. You never think about their feelings when you don't hit triangle. Yeah, now I'm going to be overwhelmed by those feelings. I don't know what to do now. Because you're kind of a never triangle. You you don't like the call to adventure in an open world video game. You just want to run around and collect herbs and hunt wildcats and stuff. Wildcat. I don't think that's true. No, I mean, there are some sessions where that all I do is side missions. There are some sessions where all I do is collect herbs. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm into it all. But I'm not into doing herbs and side mission and main quest. I think I'm compartmentalizing <laughs> how I like to play these open world video games. I definitely would have fucked the scientist, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> or seen how far the game will let you get right. in that regard. I implored you before I went on family leave to 100% Elden Ring or similar. Uh huh. Did you do anything of that kind? I didn't even download it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I managed to get negative percent on that quest that you, that you gave me because I didn't even download the game. You were given the option to hit triangle and you chose nothing. I managed to fill my time in all kinds of other ways. Oh, good. Both enriching and not <laughs> did they call it tattashore nine so that people will learn how to pronounce fred tattashore's name there's no better theory than that one looks like they're heading for tattashore nine i was like oh that's how it's said i'm trying to remember how it was said in the episode now and i'm like really hoping that i'm getting it right <laughs> yeah tattashore tattashore Mamma mia! So this planet is kind of a Mus Eisley-ish environment. Feels like when uh, when James Bond goes to Mombasa sort of energy, but there's lots of religious zealots there. Or like there's... clear and present danger in Colombia. Like it's interesting how pregnant these establishing shots are yeah, in movies yeah. like these. And uh, Mariner knows the language of film. She can read this as the pretext for a new set piece but uh Boehm's is bumming all the way out and uh gets kind of distracted when one of the many preachers soliciting religious followers in this town says that Kotiha has the true answers of life's most important questions and that's really attractive to Boehmer he wants to know the answers I want some Kotiha on top of my tortilla soup yeah yeah I mean, no kidding, there's man. some answers there, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Crumbly, salty, yeah. delicious. Drink, drink, drink. Would you look at that? So this is like such a tempting offer, getting these answers, that he and Mariner miss out on the grav cycle chase. And uh, this is what splits the A story and the B story apart. Tendi and Rutherford go on the big action sequence, and Mariner and Boimler do not so interesting to hear this moment talked about by the characters experiencing it, right? Because, mm -hmm. like, you know when you make one of these open-world video games, you're just making the tree, right? The, the choice tree of, like, if you do A, then 2 happens, and if you choose B, then C happens, like, <laughs> and all the way down. But, like, the idea of playing a game like this that has an infinite amount of side mission tree making going on yeah. under the hood yeah. is amazing the dangers of this were kind of explored a little bit in tng and i sort of wondered if that was where this episode was heading like the 
you know, joining the religion of a character that is being populated into the background by the computer mm-hmm. feels like it could have really outsized problems associated with it in the hands of the right writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But while Boimler and Mariner miss out on the motorcycle chase, we do not as the viewer. We get to no. go along with that. And it's Tendy and Rutherford having tons of action movie fun during. Yeah, Tendy pulls like a The Matrix style motorcycle crash stunt where she lets her grav cycle hit the vehicle that the Romulans are trying to get away with. And she does like a, an awesome backflip over the explosion. Tendy is loving her time here. And it isn't until later that we're made to understand exactly why. But it's totally under the radar up until that point because Tendy is just a bubbly personality to begin with in whatever she's doing. She and Boimler naturally throw themselves into these roles in a way that Mariner and Rutherford don't. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's kind of maybe the one thing that Mariner and Rutherford's personalities have in common. Yeah. So the Romulans make this chronogomic getaway they narrowly avoid getting nabbed by the Starfleets, and uh, the Starfleets have to chase them through the chronoverse <laughs> or something. Yeah. They make a chrono horror. Horror. <laughs> Cro- <laughs> and uh, they find themselves in, uh, like, I don't know, some kind of like refinery installation with a bunch of monster maroon Starfleets covered in green goo. And a giant octopus character. That's Ambassador Coro. And uh, I like that they talk about this like everybody learns about this in school. <laughs> you know, Star Trek does this occasionally about stuff that we've actually seen in past episodes. <laughs> like, uh, oh yeah, everybody knows the Picard maneuver or whatever. But I love that everybody knows about this also. <laughs> I love that you're willing to talk about it this way because this is a moment in the episode where I was like, I cannot discount the idea that this hasn't happened in a Star <laughs> Trek text that I don't know about. Oh, yeah. Or in an animated series episode that I haven't seen. Like, initially, my thought was like this like, the balls of this show to create canon. Like, to look backwards and go like, oh, yeah, the algae crisis was a major deal, and here's what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that about this episode, but it's also interesting that it chooses to create these minor moments in history instead of choosing to create giant ones or choosing moments that we've seen in movies and television to riff off of. Like, this seems like different territory and different locations for the show to go, and I think the episode is better for it. Yeah. Cause like Zephram Cochran was a reference to a TOS character, right? I think so. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there is an LG crisis. Should I search on memory alpha right now and see? Go ahead. I mean, I did and I didn't find anything. Cause we're recording this before this episode is released. So there won't yeah. be anything from this episode to taint <laughs> memory alpha. No, there's, there's nothing yeah. about it. There you go. So if it is canonical anteriormente to this episode, the nerds have missed it, just like us. I was also really interested in how, as we jump around using 
this device, how little it seemed to matter where we were or what we were there to do. (laughs) Like the interpersonal really rose to the fore instead of the mission that they were on. Yeah, because Rutherford reveals himself as a sneak, smelly, and noisy food into the movie guy, (laughs) and Tendy's really annoyed by this. Yeah. Uh, You know, like the paper bag full of crispy potato chips is like, I can't think of a more obnoxious thing to take into a movie. And there Rutherford is with it. Really, dude? Rutherford's got to be better than this. That is kind of a red-eye Rutherford maneuver that he pulls here. <laughs> yeah, it really I've been is. looking at his eyes pretty closely in this scene, if <laughs> I were Tendy. What? You got to have chips? Somewhere else in the same holodeck, I guess. A Lustor is meeting with Mariner and Boimler and also... Knickknack, one of the uh, cloaked extras in the uh, in the set from before. Ben, Knickknack's going to be a thing, right? Like, yeah. Knickknack is going to be an action figure and a plushie or whatever. I would love that. Yeah. Thank you, Knickknack. Knickknack. Alustor seems like he's sort of stalling. Like, uh, Boimler's asking for questions. It seems, it seems like there's like a... You know, like a little uh, rainbow pinwheel pops up kind of <laughs> while the computer writes some bullshit to fill in <laughs> the answers. This is a fun <laughs> moment, yeah. Alustor's body, disgusting to look at. I mean, I'm not going to body shame him the way you will, Ben. It's, it would seem as though this character had just undergone a rapid weight loss situation. Oh, I wasn't interpreting that uh, that way at all. I was I just thought he was very floppy and flappy. I thought he was like a like a Sharpay. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was maybe a uh, a Jared from Subway type. Maybe he uh, just he just crash dieted himself into some loose skin. I thought he was bred by a lunatic French dog breeder. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, we had very different takes on this. Yeah. This is another thing, like, this is a generalized idea of a movie concept that I can't pull an example from specifically. Like, the idea of a map being on a body. Waterworld did that? Yeah. There was a tattoo on the girl in Waterworld, but she wasn't flappy. Yeah. Not flappy at all. Not flappy! (laughs) (laughs) It's a combination of the idea from Waterworld and the fold-in from the back of a Mad Magazine. That hit NBC show that was inescapable for a time where there was like that nude lady in Times Square with tattoos all over her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nude lady on NBC. Loved that show. Yeah. Couldn't get enough of it. That was the burn notice of NBC. Like, people watch that show. I don't know who they are. Yeah. The map is, uh, you know, something that will lead them to Cotija. And this is, you know, clearly the computer is bullshitting its way through a branch to the story that didn't previously exist. And this is where Mariner gets off the bus. She's like kind of a vindictiverse purist. Mm. And she doesn't like seeing the sequel go in such a laughably bad direction from a screenwriting standpoint. I love that when she storms out, she has to step over the letterboxing to get out of the holodeck. Me too, yeah. I thought that the core of this argument only revealed itself through the second time through, like the actual depth of it. Because what Boimler is talking about is like finding meaning in everything and everybody in a world he doesn't understand or in in this new place that he occupies. And as we're going through it the first time, I kind of 
brush this by as just a, a bum out guy in a situation he isn't happy to be experiencing. But later on, on the second walkthrough, and after you find out where Mariner goes and what she learns once she's there, like this scene has a lot more gravity than it initially had. Yeah, because where she goes is Ransom's office, where she gets a glowing performance review, but then finds out that Boimler's transporter clone, William Boimler, died in a freak accident on the Titan. I mean, you would expect for him to have died in battle or some spectacular way, but it's so senseless and quiet. I really think the manner of death is a big part of why Boimler is so bummed. Freak gas leak. Neurocene flooded his quarters. He was asleep. Hell of a way to go. He takes some comfort in the fact that the buck really does stop with the upper echelons in Starfleet. So Riker is being Mm court-martialed. This is really being looked into. Like, accidents like this are not tolerated in this organization. (laughs) And... William Riker is going to pay for running such a sloppy operation that a freak gas leak can just kill you in your sleep while serving aboard his starship. Not a chance. In retail, there's that concept of shrink, right? When uh, you lose product due to either uh, being destroyed or theft or whatever, you just lose a percentage of what you're there to sell, and it's called shrink. And that's what you're talking about, Ben. That's Mm -hmm. Starfleet shrink, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's been some shrinkage. Yeah. You lose a couple of uh, officers just due to freak shrink incidents. Yeah. That's how it goes. Ben, we learn another thing in this scene of equal or more important value, I think, and that is that Ransom is best friends with Honus the bartender, Matt the whale, and Nurse Westlake. Friends for life. Stevens is going to be really butthurt when he finds out who Ransom's day ones are. God. Because he is not on that list. (laughs) <laughs> Honus is so great. I'm glad to have a Honus callback. I think same writer for both episodes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Back in the holodeck, Rutherford and Tendy find themselves in Sydney, Australia in 1982, where the Romulans are planning on killing an octopus at the local aquarium because this octopus is an ancestor of the octopus that was a Starfleet admiral in the previous timeline that they were in. And this episode cares about as much for this story as Rutherford does, because he just, <laughs> he's there for the clothes. Yeah. I really started to feel like Rutherford in this moment. Like he, initially when he was eating chips, I was like, man, fuck Rutherford. Come on, take it a little bit seriously. <laughs> and when he's ripping the pants off of a non-player character in this scene, I was like, oh yeah, like why not put on some fun clothes? Yeah, dress up for the time period you're interloping in. And uh, Tendi is taking none of his bullshit. The way sitting on a warm toilet seat is kind of squicky. I can't remember the last time I put on warm pants and how gross (laughs) that would feel if I were to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's upsetting. Yeah. But that's like the fun part of the whole time travel thing. Have you ever used a towel warmer? No. Because you see them in like hotels in Europe all the time. But those are meant to dry your towel, right? Or is the whole point to give yourself a warm towel? I can't think of the point of having a warm towel. A dry towel, very nice. Warm (laughs) towel, who cares? (laughs) Can I get another read of very nice? (laughs) Just the way you said very nice just now. That was a dry towel. Very nice. (laughs) 
We need to score a lot of platinum fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember that, you hear? 
Boimler is locked up on his own freighter by his followers, which we find out because Mariner shows back up in the holodeck to comfort him and is quickly grabbed by those self-same followers and thrown in the same brig. And uh, she can finally kind of ask him about the pain he's in. And it really felt like he was feeling very much like a red shirt. Like if a freak accident can take a guy that is my transporter clone and I can't even write a good funzy holodeck story for us to play, like what value do I bring the universe? Am I just here to be, you know, killed in some way so that the upper decks can have somebody to grieve briefly before they move on with more resolve? I remember the first Crisis Point episode pivoting on a moment toward the end where Mariner arrives at the crucial moment in understanding of herself and why she experiences things the way that she does. And a very similar thing is happening here with Boimler. And just as miraculous as it felt in that first Crisis Point movie, this episode of this comedy cartoon has a lot of useful things to say about a healthy way to experience one's life or at least not allow the questions having to do with life drown a person true they resolve to try and get out of here and finish the story and this is when knickknack comes to the rescue (laughs) by like punching a hole in the wall or something the value that you get from 10 seconds with Knickknack, where you hear him share his feelings with Boimler and the special comedy that that is like, I couldn't even describe the flavor of comedy of this, but the force multiplier of like saying a thing and then saying it with more emphasis and then saying <laughs> it a third time was just a delight for me. I laughed and laughed at this moment. He's so sincere. I'm in love with you too, buddy. Let's go. They go up to the bridge and kick everyone's ass. And when they beat up a Lustor and he is face down ass up, Boimler notices that the map continues onto his back and you can do the mad fold-in thing. What kind of slime would I marry? Hmm, I don't understand. And uh, I was shocked and dismayed to find out how Katia was spelled. Yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting that, huh? That was the big twist in this episode for me. I never did the fold-ins in Mad Magazine. I never no. wanted to fold my magazine. <laughs> you just bagged and boarded your Mads? Yeah, and I never even never, read them. Never touched them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of the jokes are pretty weak. <laughs> but yeah, they have a map and a, a, a way to go. And we cut back over to the other storyline with Tendy and Rutherford. And this is where... Tendy kind of gets fully fed up with Rutherford and confesses that the reason she is taking this storyline so seriously and treating it not just as a dumb popcorn movie the way he is, is that she really likes the idea of being a captain one day. And it's an idea so scary that she could barely say it aloud. I mean, you really feel for her, right? That she really and truly believes that no one would ever take her seriously enough to view her as a captain. And so she's got to run the simulation in that way. I love this moment because it's like, it can be really hard to be vulnerable with something like an ambition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it can also be really empowering. And I just, I 
I sort of wanted to try it. I want to be good at podcasting one day. I think you can get there, Ben. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot to me. And look, I'll help you out however I can. Starting with, and I'm going to make this promise to you, okay? Okay. You're just really vulnerable to me just then. I'm going to be pretty vulnerable here to you right now. Okay. All right. I am going to at least half as much, probably a quarter as often as I usually do, interrupt you. I'm going to really pull that back. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So. (laughs) Before we move on, part of what Tendy's talking about here made me think about like the reenactment culture that we have generally. And I don't mean specifically like a Civil War reenactment thing, but like how often do we cosplay or pretend or whatever a thing that we feel like is better than we are in order to coast off of the respect that those things earn. You know, you see it everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a huge part of life in general. Like it's yeah. being a fan of a sports team or a band or absolutely a TV show or a book, you know, like... I think like identifying yourself with a thing like that is a, it's a really good feeling. That's why I listen to good podcasts. Mm, I should. And and I'm a a fan of them. Yeah. You should try it, man. I think this show has been steering Tendi to this moment by giving us a lot of Tendi doesn't have confidence in herself. Tendi is not proud of her culture or whatever, but I also don't think you need those things for this scene to work for her arrival at this moment and her vulnerability with Rutherford to feel as important as it is because Mm -hmm. of what you just said, because I think everyone feels a version of this imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's only natural. Rutherford is so great in this moment. He really believes in her without skipping a beat. There's no like, uh, yeah, you'd make a good captain. It's almost shocking the way he hits the switch between like chip eating fuck around guy <laughs> to really there for Tendy all the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I'm only going to tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. They get back to the opening scene battle. Because Tendy wants to rerun the whole thing with this new confidence, yeah? Yeah, and she's going to be the acting captain in this story. And they replay it up to, like, being in the time when the Federation is going to be founded. And it's that bomb from uh, Star Trek Nemesis that makes everybody, like, evaporate in the Romulan Senate. Yeah. And they hide it in the box that the Chronogami is in. Boy, the three twins are pissed about this when this is revealed. Oh, man, the... The Melpinar triplets are going to (laughs) be so fucking pissed when they realize. Well, I mean, they're going to be fucking dead is the thing. (laughs) It's just going to be a bunch of boob windows in space. They'll be in Romulan hell. Yeah. They're boob windows. Fucking furious. That kind of closes out that story. Big victory by pulling a switcheroo using the Chronogami on the Romulans in exactly the way they would have used it on the Federation. 
Tendy's a hero. Yeah, good job, Tendy. A hollow hero, I guess. We cut back to the other storyline, which starts to have real Star Trek V vibes as Boimler and Mariner find their way to Cotia, which is a big, like, rock face mountain on a dark Star Trek cave planet. And Cotia is a big disappointment. It's just spouting a bunch of dumb aphorisms. Well, it's V'ger Voyager, right? Because Cotia is Kitty Hawk. That's what it's revealed as when Boimler crawls into the rock monster. Kitty Hawk? That reveal doesn't make any sense! In his rage over being given a bunch of generic platitudes, he stomps a mud hole in Katia's head, and it turns out it's Kitty Hawk. There's a repetition of this theme from now until the end of the episode, right? Because no one has the wisdom that Boimler is looking for. He wakes up at Kirk Farms next, (laughs) where he meets Sulu and a whore. Sulu has taken care of Kirk Farms ever since he fucked off to go do time travel shit. Yeah. Hey, Kirk, maybe don't leave your horses behind? Yeah. To be someone else's thing? Crucially, the letterboxing has disappeared. Yeah. So eagle-eyed viewers will know that this is not exactly the holodeck that we're in anymore. Yeah. Did the film grain go away too? It must have. I think it did, yeah. Yeah. And um, Oh, but what appeared, Ben, how beautiful was the dust particulate in the barn? Pretty nice. God. That was so beautiful. Nice particle system being used in the animation here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Sulu has some really wise words for Boimler, who's really excited to meet Captain Sulu. I'm stuck in Idaho, because (laughs) where I really want to go is San Francisco. That's where I was born, and that is where I would like to die. (laughs) Not many horses in San Francisco. (laughs) It smells much better. (laughs) I've seen many horse cocks in San Francisco (laughs) without the horses attached. Uh, So the advice winds up being like, don't ascribe meaning to a death that's meaningless. Your life can be infused with the meaning that you give it. And Boimler's like kind of pushing the issue and wanting to connect even more with Sulu and he's like now the horse is going to bite you (laughs) present your genitals to my horse (laughs) would you like to feed the horsey he wakes up on a bio bed in six bay it turns out he was just super dehydrated in the holodeck and passed out I love the logic of this yeah (laughs) I would forget to consume liquids too if I were like this deep into a holodeck program i think anyone would yeah i think so too do you think in the same way that the ship beams poop and pee out of a person on a ship do you think that the reverse is also true like you could be hydrated by the ship wow it could like beam intravenous fluid or right into you beam some broad into you (laughs) from time to time (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean I, i like the idea i think it stands to reason yeah They ramp up. They're like, yeah, we enjoyed the story that you wrote. Sorry you didn't find out the meaning of life or whatever. But we got to clear out because uh, Stevens stayed at his post (laughs) and they need the space in Six Bay. Hey, Stevens, this is why Ransom 
doesn't want to be your friend. You keep repeatedly burning yourself, <laughs> leaning up against the warp core. Matt would never do that. No. Matt's chill as fuck. The water would get too warm close to the warp core. He'd stay away. <laughs> the end of the episode is Boimler and Mariner talking about how much they hate dark cliffhangers, and I turned it off after that. I assume the credits rolled? Yeah, that was it. We get our Lower Decks ending, don't we? <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the hypothesized Lower Decks style ending that we were talking yeah. about? Right, right. The jokey freeze frame ending. Did you like this episode, Ben? <laughs> we should talk about the sequence that happens after this. Do you think they thought about putting this after the credits? I wonder if they will in what finally gets released because it was it, it was conspicuously labeled as temporary credits yeah. on the thing that I saw. Yeah, the screener we got had temporary credits and the cliffhanger scene happens right after the in the corridor scene. And the temporary credits were just the credits from that episode with Sonia Gomez in yeah. them, I think. I mean, it said temporary credits, but it still confused me because I was like, was Sonia <laughs> Gomez in this episode? <laughs> what did I just watch? Can't rule it out. <laughs> Yeah, I've watched a few episodes of Rick and Morty, and I, I feel like I, I probably watched five or six episodes of that show before I found out that there was always something after the credits. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, man, like I missed a bunch of little bits of those previous ones. I'm not going back for them. Sometimes there are things happening at the end of our credits. Did you know that? You'd have uh, to QA I, the episodes. I've never, I've never QA'd all the way to uh, the end. Yeah, you should look for that from time <laughs> yeah. to time. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this winds up at the end of the credits, but it would be uh, a thing that a lot of people would miss, I think, because that's not built into the mm -hmm. expectations people have of how the show plays. Yeah. Yeah. In this cliffhanger, we see William Boimler alive and well. <laughs> After having been resuscitated aboard a uh, defiant looking ship, and once he's awake, he is invited to join Section 31, which is an invitation he accepts utterly. Like, he is jazzed about this. Yeah, couldn't be more excited. Yeah. Seems like he knows all about Section 31, despite it being a secret organization that, like, not even Captain Sisko knew about in, in Deep Space Nine. But uh, Boimler, before the split, was a Star Trek nerd. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. So the word is out if, among certain kinds of people. Why would Section 31 want him, though, is a question <laughs> I had, though. Man, I could see a lot of use cases for a transporter clone in Section 31, actually. They're not giving you their best people at Section 31. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? Yeah, I was kind of blindsided by the philosophy of it though like the more you think about your own life the more if you're me <laughs> the more disappointing and like confounding it gets which is why like the central argument about like you only really find the meaning of life when you're not looking for it like the meaning of life is found in your peripheral life vision instead of like your focused life vision really resonated with me. Like the good stuff is everything. The less good stuff is the stuff you focus on oftentimes. And I found that to be a, a truism that this comedy cartoon 
got across with me. <laughs> but that wasn't the whole reason that I liked this episode. Like as a construction, I thought it was impressive. It was able to build that in into a funny, interesting lower deck story that it was everywhere else. Like, I love that if you're in Star Trek as a character of Star Trek, you're also a fan of the place that you work. Yeah. That happens constantly on this show. The characters enjoy Star Trek and enjoy the things about the place where they are. And that's that just really makes it fun and easier to enjoy along with the characters that we like here. And like, look, the film grain details and like the aspect ratio stuff, like all of the film nerd stuff. Is so enjoyable for people with our interests. That's not going to change. Like this is a show that really gets the details right because I feel like there are film and television nerds uh, responsible for making it. It's really great that way. What about you? You said it better than I could. That was a really fun episode. This has just been such a strong season so far. Yeah. And I think that this show, it worried me a little bit in season one that it might trend toward being kind of a rinse repeat one note type of operation and i really feel like they have figured out how to make all different kinds of stories within this framework of this show and telling sequels to previous stories that are interesting new takes on a previous language they developed is evidence of that they're already far enough along to do that that's wild yeah and this didn't feel like a warmed over crisis point it felt like a whole new thing that uses a lot of the same kind of conceptual underpinnings. Yeah. So I liked it a lot. I think all four of our main characters have really arrived at a kind of moment of truth up until now, right? Yeah. But all of them are now like at that same point. Like they, I think in reference to each other, they're at the same point in their self-awareness. It, I now wonder like what the next step is going to be for them. Yeah. Do you think that this show winds up having the Commander Riker problem that TNG had, which is they're going to have a problem justifying them staying ensigns for a long time? Like, are they going to start having to pull the chair out for people and write increasingly elaborate reasons for them to not sit down in it? Yeah, I mean, for that to be true, I think, who is the figure on the show that would encourage that. I mean, it would be Ransom, right? Ransom would be looking at these lower deckers and going, why haven't you stepped up? Right. And, you know, Mariner just got a glowing performance review in this episode. Does that mean that she's due for a half a pip? Yeah, and by doing that, I think you're putting out on the horizon the enemy of our joy on the show is the idea of anyone getting a promotion and being separated <laughs> from the rest, right? <laughs> It kind of is. And uh, there's comedy in how you get out of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that will wear thin eventually. So right. I wonder if they just like have a an end date, like a there are going to be X number of seasons of this and then they will all get promotions and it won't be a show that we need to make anymore. I mean, it's kind of the curse of the 10 episode season to say that, like, I cannot believe we're almost at the end of season three. I can't believe, like, Discovery's got five seasons. Picard's got three seasons already. <laughs> this is almost done with its third season. Like, these seasons are going by so fast that by the time we get to a seventh season, it's going to be here before we know it, and then these shows are going to be over. Yeah. 
that you have to end on the seventh season. That's a rule. That's Star, Star Trek, Trek law. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if there's anything to buoy our spirits? An emergency buoy. To buoy them in the priority one inbox, Adam. I think I'll feel better about heading over there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Tazi the dog from the Drunk Shimoda Discord. And it's to Gabe, a.k.a. Dr. Z, a.k.a. Dr. Zaddy. (laughs) Dr. Z, congrats on the birth of your lovely twins and their coming home from the hospital. I know we all had a lot of fun following along when they were coming into the world. All the best to you and S-W-I-Y-W, she who is your wife. That's tough. (laughs) Now, good luck getting all those badges you want. And since I have some characters left... Hi, Discord peeps! Woof woof! Man, Dr. Zaddy had twins! (laughs) As a new parent yourself, is it like getting a car and you see a better version of your car in a driveway (laughs) down the street? Like, when you see twins and you've had a single baby, are you like, damn, twins? Twins! (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. My wife's mother is a twin, Uh and... That is a thing that kind of often skips a generation. Like, if you are a woman whose mom is a twin, your likelihood of giving birth to twins is greatly increased. And so, before we knew my baby was one baby, there was like a lot of talk in my family about what if it's two babies? And you could potentially be a twin grandpa, though, right? If what you're describing skips. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but uh, boy, we have talked a lot since the arrival of our baby. Like, holy shit, can you imagine if there were two of these? Yeah. (laughs) It sounds so hard. (laughs) Big respect to Dr. Zaddy and she who is his wife for shouldering that. And uh, I'm sure that those kiddos are in great hands. Got two shoulders. Two shoulders covered in barf. (laughs) then our second priority one message is from very forgiving wife andrea and it is to really great guy tyler message goes like this you spent a hundred dollars on what (laughs) did you need to spend that kind of cash to say you love me when you do that for free every day do i love you more now than i did 10 years ago when we got married Are you the actual best where I can't imagine a better partner, friend, and lover? (laughs) The answer to all this is, of course, yes. Can't wait for many decades more. (laughs) Look, Andrea, all of that may be true, but really great guy Tyler also spent $100 to say so. Yeah, so is it like really, is he really that great? (laughs) Would all of those things be true without the $100? Who can really say? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I'm glad he spent it, but I know that in my relationship it would be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think really great guy Tyler's love has receipts, and I think that's important. Hmm. Yeah. It sounds like really great guy Tyler is also lucky to have such a forgiving wife in Andrea. Very true. Yeah. Behind every really great guy is a very forgiving partner or wife right thank you and i know how true that is if you'd like to uh profess your love or congratulate someone on twins head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron and get yourself a p1 today hey ben what's that adam 
did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? Hmm, hard for me to not give it to Stevens for staying at his post twice in one day. Pretty rough day at the office, huh? That was such a good throwaway joke. Stevens not having come up previously in the episode at all felt like a real sort of Stevens cleese. <laughs> How is there this joke about Ransom's four best friends and Stevens doesn't come up in it? Yeah. And then is not even mentioned in the episode and that... The, the way they worked him in, and it's just a joke about a boner move that Stevens pulled for the second time in the day, was great. Great fun. The idea that you could experience the worst kind of body trauma twice <laughs> <laughs> in the same day, that's science fiction right there. You know that meme that goes like, this is science fiction, this is fantasy? Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is science fiction. Just a, yeah. a burned Stevens body. Did you find yourself on Edward Larkin, Adam? Yeah, for me, it's William Boimler. I think he's mm. someone who has ever since the split seen his own circumstances and has chosen the most ambitious path, right? Yeah. Like, he is Bradward. He really is, but he looks at Bradward and is like, I'm going to try even harder. I'm going to get even weirder. I'm going to go even further. And for William to, like, lean forward in an Undertaker kind of way out of his <laughs> torpedo casing and choose Section 31 is just in keeping with everything we know about William up until now. He's weird as hell. He's unpredictable in his ambitions, and that's what makes him my Edward Larkin. He's really like bold boims in the dark way. <laughs> he had to be a part of this. Like, he was a part of this plan. I don't think this is a part of a recruitment thing where... Section 31 wakes you up, and if you say no, no. <laughs> they actually kill you? No, but it's sad what happened to Captain Riker, right? Because like, they have to go through the motions of court-martialing him, punishing him for running a ship that is as slapdash as the Titan. Do you think he plays Amazing Grace on the trombone for every crew fatality <laughs> there is on that ship? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Probably true. So Section 31 found the post-trombone Amazing Grace Boimler torpedo, scooped it up like they're the Drukmani. <laughs> they're lucky that the Drukmani didn't find him first. Yeah. That's a real danger if your torpedo casing is floating around in space, right? Yeah, it super is. A lot of bad outcomes there. Well... Why don't we move on, Adam? To our hit segment, Ben. Yeah, it's got a name, right? Didn't we discover that it had a name? It does have a name. <laughs> uh, a few names have been nominated. Hailing Frequencies is what a Twitter account named Willoughby Dobbs has uh, suggested that we call it. And I like that. At Anne Companion has said, why don't you try The Greatest Hails? Ooh, the, the greatest hails has got a fun ring to it. I know. Maybe we should make a Twitter poll. Drive engagement and find out what it's really called. Yeah, let's do a poll and then uh, like reply with other ideas too because no bad yeah. ideas at this point. Yeah, we'll uh, send a free t-shirt to someone who gets it. Oh yeah, straight out of podshop.biz. Pick any t-shirt you see at podshop.biz. <laughs> And we'll send it to you. 
How about this one, Adam? At Glifty Architect tweeted, At Greatest Trek, I had an idea for a shirt, an arrow pointing up labeled the EMH, and an arrow pointing down labeled the subroutines added to his database. We're great at shirts like that. Yeah, people love our dick joke t-shirts. They've always sold super well. (laughs) You're guaranteed at any Star Trek convention to see one of those, and that person isn't attending the con. They're uh, cleaning up a mess with it outside. (laughs) (laughs) They're soaking up something that's spilled. They're like uh, cleaning people's windshields at a stoplight using the shirt to wipe the Windex off. It's cool. I like it, though. I I, I mean, hey, at Glyph D Architect, if you make the design, we'll throw it up in podshop.biz. All right. It'll be available tomorrow. Hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. Tomorrow, Uh, you say? Yeah, tomorrow. (laughs) But before tomorrow is right now, Adam, and right now we got to throw the keys to the pod car to the editor of this episode, Ryan Whedon, a uh, guest editor that we've uh, had the great fortune to work with several times before. If we've got some information about next week's episode of Lower Decks, Ryan will tell you all about it. Take it away, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced by Wendy Pretty. This week's episode was edited by Ryan Whedon. Coming up on Lower Decks, it's Season 3, Episode 9, Trusted Sources. A visiting reporter on the Cerritos puts Captain Freeman on edge. Big thanks go out to Adam Ragusia for creating the original music you hear on the show. He also cooks on the internet, and you can watch all his videos by searching Adam Ragusia on YouTube. We've also got to thank the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who manages the Greatest Trek accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow either or both of those at Greatest Trek, or you can use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. If you want to support the show financially, you can head on over to MaximumFun.org join to make a monthly contribution, or you can purchase a P1 by going to MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. There's also plenty of ways to support the show for free. Rating and reviewing the show on your podcatcher of choice helps spread the word as does recommending the show to a friend or fellow Star Trek lover. Thanks for listening. We'll be here next week for more of The Greatest Trek. That's got to be sad. You shoot an empty torpedo. Well, no, I guess, like, where's the body, right? Is there no Mm. body on... Riker's he was ship? in a torpedo when they picked him up. They probably shot the torpedo, but he wasn't actually dead inside it. That's, that's fucking dumb as hell. Please cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.